0: How good are numbers? They can blow minds, they can help us see the invisible, and they can even help us count. But in the wrong hands, they can also (coughs) numb. On Thursday, April 20, Sweathead is hosting our first ever online conference about numbers, number-adjacent things, and number-identifying people. It's called WTF, the Effing Effectiveness Festival. Over three hours, nine number experts will try to blow your mind one at a time. Do you have a mind? Well, prepare to get it blown by Associate Marketing Professor Colin and Campbell in his plea to get you to do A-B testing. Google's Esty Gorman and her demand that we F the funnel. Sage's James Hankins in his sharing about the importance of share of search. Ogilvy's Ella Jenkins poking at our subconscious and how it's our boss. Magic Numbers' as Dr. Grace Kite's warning about the dangers of digital attribution. DCDX's Andrew Ross gravity-defying tale about the black hole-consuming Gen Z. Walk brain David Tiltman's work about how often creative award winnings are also effing effective. Author and System 1's Orlando Woods sour about how the advertising brain has turned to lemons and Jellyfish's Tom Roach will drop some squishy effectiveness pearls of wisdom all over the place. WTF, the effing effectiveness festival. It's marketing that will blow your mind from Sweathead, the strategy people inside your head. Online, Thursday, April 20, 2023, from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. ET. That's New York time, baby. Find out more at sweathead.com. Group discounts are available. What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Today, a little bit of a monologue. I haven't done too many of those this year. I don't know if you care. Some of you seem to enjoy having that one character turn up and that's all I am to you. I know that it's not about me being good or not good. It's just as a character, he sounds a certain way. Face looks very sarcastic. He just got the most aggressive haircut of his past five years. I grew out my hair because it was getting all ratty. I thought this is my last stance, and I got it chopped the other day. It looks kind of normal, and I haven't had many normal haircuts in my life. Used to get like a high fade, a half up the side, and a one on top, and then grew it out a little bit on top. Had a rat's tail, a bit of a mullet. These are very Australian. They're not only Australian things, but they're slightly Australian things to play with. You know how I know that? When we were in Sydney in December, mullets everywhere. And mustaches, mullets and mustaches, just everywhere. Very generous. Australia is like the Aladdin's cave of mullets and mustaches. It's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. It makes me proud. It makes me feel homesick. Parochial. So today, what we're going to get into, I'll, I'll give you a quick sweathead update. I'm going to talk about some agency dysfunctions that seem to resonate with a lot of people, especially around having lots and lots of rounds of revisions of creative work, but also this sentence that we sometimes hear when we lose a pitch. And it's this, loved the strategy, but didn't like the creative. I'm going to break those down for you. Hi to anybody who's new to Sweathead. I know that we kind of cycle in and out of podcasts over time. And having said that, apparently about 500 people listen to nearly every episode of this podcast, let alone the people who come and go, who choose one every now and then, uh, and also let alone, let alone, let alone that like a double negative, it's like a double let alone, but also let alone the people who just listen to one or two things because of search or something. They come and listen, but anyway, thank you to everyone who's persisted. And if you're new, welcome. If you enjoy any of this any of this stuff, please forward it to people, and feel free to drop a, a kind rating or review. Quick sweathead update: so we're a second week of the accelerator. We're doing a four week accelerator in March and then October of 2023. It goes super quick. I've already done half the training sessions, and I love it. I love it. And one of the things that I really enjoy actually is is not just that I I love dealing with people who enjoy strategy and strategists. But I like teaching and trying to solve problems when it comes to critical thinking in public. And it's something that I I don't know if enough of us do it. And and I think a lot of managers and bosses, even agency leaders, could do their critical thinking with people in public more often as opposed to feeling they always have to be really buttoned up or they're going to get judged. And part of that can involve, which is really, really common, looking or discussing Let's call it an an insight, some kind of strategy, technology. Is that a thing? I don't know. Double, let alone, and now strategy, technology. What's what's happening? We've already done mullets and mustaches as well. It's going to be a fire episode. I can feel it already. This is what happens when someone spends too much time in their own head. So let's say we're talking about an insight. And usually what I'll say is I know there's a debate, especially online, about whether you even need an insight, what an insight is. and And my point of view on all of this is don't be dogmatic. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Have your own definition. Maybe there are multiple kinds of insight. I tend to use it in one particular way and I use it as this, an unspoken human truth. And what I want to see the insight do is I want to see it open up the problem where the problem is typically, typically going to be a really dramatic statement of the main obstacle or barrier that's getting in the way of someone buying something. And one that came up from... Uh, one of the students this week, we were talking about trying to buy a bed and having too, many de- like, having too many beds to choose from, and then that leads to decision paralysis. And so we dug into the problem and we landed with this as a problem statement. I don't want to sleep in my mistake. So that's dramatic. It might be a bit abstract for some people, but I, I kind of like it as a place to play. Now with the learning in public, sometimes you might arrive on something like that. And to me, the problem will feel insightful but I'll personally, you get to do what you want, I'll personally use the word insight once. Sometimes you realize that that is more useful as an insight where I might want to see that in the work. And sometimes you might use that as that, that kind of problem statement, I sleep in my mistakes, to get to an insight. And then you realize that insight's actually just a better description of the problem. And so these things move around frameworks. And that's just an honest way to talk about our work. Whether you use get to, buy, 3Cs, 4Cs, 5Cs, the four points that I like to use, an honest way to talk about this stuff is use what works for you, have various go-to techniques, get good at them, then try other things. And you know this, you might be walking down the street, have a thought, remember something from one person you interviewed out of 20, connect that to some kind of keyword research and a hashtag, and it leads to like a strategy, like a really good, I'll call it direction, that can lead to really good creative work. So there needs to be a fluidity with all of this stuff. But talking about that and admitting it in public, I I don't think it's common enough. It's not common enough because we want to pretend that we've got a way, that we know our stuff. But the back and forth with with students, uh, who are all adults, I love it. I love it. So hopefully if you're listening to this and you do the accelerator, you're getting something out of those little interactions because they're they're small teaching moments. We've also been launching, we've launched and we're going to continue to launch a whole bunch of masterclasses this year. We were trying to get all this stuff ready by the end of uh, last year. So we're a little bit behind just, I'm new to managing a team for Sweathead. And then also the website's been a little bit challenging at times, but big shout out to Andy Nan, co-founder of Lucky Generals, one of UK's top planners. Uh, He's he's been called the UK's top planner a few times officially, according to, was it, campaign? And, uh, you know, lucky generals have made four of the most recent five top-watched ads in the world, including some of the Alexa Super Bowl ads, I believe. So it was awesome to have Andy Nan. He he talked about finding his superpowers. In the the next coming days, we've got one with Rodrigo Moroni, lovely guy. Met him personally in Brazil. He was leading the equivalent of the APG there, uh, Grupo de Planejamento, account planning group. Uh, And now he's back in New York, lives very close to me, and we have not caught up. He's been here a year. I don't know. There's something about New York. Sometimes I meet people that I'm geographically close to in other countries and spend more time with them in other places. Uh, Not that I've traveled a lot since the pandemic. Now, because we've launched these masterclasses a little bit late and because maybe the banking system's collapsed by the time I finish recording this, things have been a little bit slow. So here's the deal. If you're listening to this and you want to come to Rodrigo's masterclass, DM me on preferably on Instagram it's just quick if everything's in one place and I'll give you a free ticket if you're a listener and uh, and you want to come to this Rodrigo's focusing three hours on problems I'm going to give you a ticket to that just DM me do it preferably at least before Rodrigo's session which is in seven days from now March 23 I'll be in Mexico City for that okay that's the deal we're going to open up a few things here and there this year because it's a weird year out there. And I get the messages about it. I've been getting lovely messages lately, but I also know a lot of people have lost jobs or they're worried about losing jobs. And at the same time, yeah, some agencies and companies are hiring aggressively. There's a lot of mixed signals out there. But I think generally speaking, there's a lot of wait and see and some demoralized vibes out there. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff planned this year with that we're going to do. We pay all our speakers we pay them equitably we talk up front we don't pay like massive speaker fees because the economics of the business the sweathead thing as a business don't justify it or they can't afford it i'd love to get to that point where you do a talk with us and here's a big big check or a big piece of money but we're not we're not quite there yet and in fact most of the public events that we do which is not just me delivering training but most of the public events break even maybe make a little bit of profit. We don't commercialize what we do in a way that's aggressive or as aggressive as it could be. We're we're really trying to work out this new model. So the point is, you wanna come to Rodriguez thing, DM me and we'll give you a free ticket. You can find me at Mark Pollard. Also coming up in masterclass wise, April 21, which is when I get a bit older. I love teaching. So I've just spent, I've decided to spend the day where I get a little bit older teaching a three hour masterclass It's called how to find your strategy voice subtitle, something like working with the voices in your head. It's something I feel really passionate about. It's a weird word for me to use passionate. Oh my God, who have I become sounding like a, I don't know. I'm not going to say what I'm sounding like. Cause it was going to come out in a mean way. Uh, I don't like talking about personal brands. There's something that's Weird about personal brand for me. Like I'm, I'm aware like a few other people in the strategy world who are quote unquote creators who post online. That I have a style, I have a tone, I focus on certain things. Personal brand, just I don't know. I see it as a creative practice. It's not to be disingenuous about it, but I just see it disingenuous about it. I just see it as a creative practice, and so I'm going to spend three hours on April twenty one running you through a little framework. I'll give you a little framework and the frame of mind that it takes to publish online. And you know, one of the one of the big things that sticks has stuck with me as I've talked to a lot of people about this stuff over the years. And also I grew up a little when I say grew up teenager and twenties around the music industry. I, I think to be able to maintain yourself as a as a writer, publisher online or wherever, I think for most people, you got to create with a sense of urgent desperation. I know that's what I tap into. It's not everybody, but I feel like unless you're desperate and connected to that, unless you identify as someone who writes as a writer, then it's hard to really keep doing it. And even from a podcast point of view, I've been asked like about podcasts, how do you do and it's like you it becomes part of your life. It's part of your lifestyle. It becomes a habit, a routine, who you are, how you experience yourself, how you experience other people. And I think that's a missing thing from a lot of people who want to do, quote unquote, thought leadership or become a personal brand. And and people can sniff out the difference. So that's something I'm going to talk about. But a lot of it will be a, a bit of exploration of self and then some practical writing techniques as well, including how to do a carousel in Keynote, which is what I use. And also the very, very mega, mega, mega awesome Aisha Hakim is doing a masterclass for us. I think it's in May called The Art of Deck Making. So she's made and shared a great deck about deck making, and she's going to spend three hours with us teaching you about that. And you can find out details about that at sweathead.com. Another large thing we're doing is WTF, the Effing Effectiveness Festival. It happens on April 20 for three hours. We've got a really good lineup. I do want to make a point about this because we struggled with something we struggled to, I'm going to say this, sorry, if this triggers you, sorry, I'm going to talk about race and gender and things like this. Okay. We have to, we have to, we got to pull people through. I have a team that works with me. Now we put a list together of people we wanted to reach out to and probably contacted over 20 people. We had one withdrawal. A few people didn't respond to me or my team and I actually find that interesting. It's something I was thinking about talking about when people respond to me, but they won't respond to one of my team members who maybe is in a different country, a different gender, and that's every, that's not white people not responding. That's everyone. So I find that the dynamics there interesting. Or if they treat my someone in my team a little bit differently, I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go full hard. I'm not gonna go full hard with conspiracy theories about it. But I I notice I notice some stuff but here's the thing we're doing this all it's going to be such a fun event wtf the effing effectiveness festival we just want to have some fun with the marketing sciences and people who know numbers really well i find it really it's a really important field but it also takes itself really seriously and if you listen to some of the interviews i've done recently especially with john evans from system one and david tiltman from walk who will be talking at this and orlando wood from system one will be talking this too honestly since the pandemic it's toxic online this field is toxic like. The number of like middle-aged white dudes who turn up drunk in people's posts trying to tag one of the famous academics to jump in and crush like a young person, it's disgusting. Like, why are you spending your lives like that, people? And you're not listening to this episode. You're not listening to my podcast because I'm in that group of weird people to you because your world is logical, it's suit wearing, it's really formal, it takes itself seriously it's crazy it's crazy let's loosen it up because i also know some of the characters in that field and i've had fun with them and then i see them online being like mean to people i'm like i thought we were friends why are you doing this just stop it but back to my point around you know race and gender of that list of over 20 people that we reached out to Holly. Harley- any U.S. academics responded or were available or said yes and none of the people of color that we reached out to responded or were available or said yes. And I don't know exactly what's going on. We, we did rush it a little bit. We did it over a month and I, I think our lesson is when we put a summer camp together or our strategy conferences, it's usually with people that we know have been on the podcast uh, that we're familiar with and so that's usually much faster this field is more conservative compared to us if you're not familiar with us i guess it's we're not an obvious status signal you know like if harvard reaches out or princeton or mit oh yeah i'll do that and i think we we need in the future to to, to spend more time getting a more diverse group of people together which is something we've we've been really deliberate about with all the other events now the thing is like i have talked to to folks like David Tiltman at Walk and uh, other people who've put on events especially around the effectiveness marketing effectiveness world which you might think is everywhere but it's not the mainstream the heartbeat of the marketing effectiveness world is London mixed with a bit of Australia through some of the academics and some of the institutes there And those those worlds are very white and typically white male dominated. And and so I feel like this first version of WTF, we failed one of the things we wanted to do, which was to bring in different faces. Uh, but with everything going on, we we ran out of time. The, we could still bring some people in. <laughs> if the world was a little easier right now with uh, the economy and, and money, I could place some bigger bets, but we're already committing about 25 grand to this. So we're kind of locked and loaded, at least for the next few weeks, unless uh, we sell a crazy number of tickets and then we'll, we'll make it better. Having said that, the speakers are super, super talented and incredible, and we're, we're very honored to have them here. So I, I want to hold two ideas in place at the same time one is extremely appreciative and extremely excited about the speakers that we do have and two noted we need to do a better job and plan further ahead and do more legwork to make sure that there are different faces different voices more of us more of you represented in our events so WTF, the effective Effectiveness Festival. Here's a quick rundown of who's going to be there. We've got Dr. Grace Kite from Magic Numbers talking about the dangers of digital attribution. Orlando Wood from Systems One talking about the advertising, talking about how the advertising brain has soured like a lemon. Colin Campbell is an associate professor of marketing at University of San Diego. He'll be talking about A-B testing. He's also editor-in-chief of the Journal of Advertising Research. David Tiltman from Walk. Walk's growing, Walk's growing. They can take over can. I'm just saying the nerds, they're coming. Uh, David is doing a talk about how creative award winning campaigns aren't always effective. I'm like, what's up with that? Tom Roach is uh, going to focus on, he was going to focus on something to do with the messy middle, but Esty's doing that, Tom is focusing on the plateau. I had to remember that because it's not on the website, but he's going to talk about the plateau that a lot of brands reach through performance marketing. And then they're like, I guess we're going to spend money on the brand now. I've heard this many times. Andrew Roth, who runs DCDX, you can listen to an interview with him soon, is doing a talk. Gen Z is disappearing into a black hole. Quick, let's do something about it. Ella Jenkins, who is an accelerator student, she is at Ogilvy in the behavioral science practice. She's doing a talk about how it's all in your head. Your subconscious does 95% of things for you. Esty Gorman, creative effectiveness lead. Oh my gosh, what a big title, Esty. Esty said that she interviewed with me and somebody else at Saatchi when I first moved here. Can I just apologize? If, if, I, if you interviewed with me in the first couple of years that I was here, half the time I was like, what have I done? And I didn't always want to bring people in because I didn't always believe in the direction of the place. So if, if you were on the receiving end of that, apologies. Maybe Esty was, I don't know. Esty's uh, got a talk called F the Funnel, Get Your Mind on the Messy Middle. And James Hankins is going to bring to life one of his papers that he co-wrote with someone uh, about share of search, one metric to rule them all, share of search. You can find details about that at the website. It's going to be really fun, and we're looking forward to that. Got summer camp planning. We're about to launch a new newsletter called FFS for Friday's sake, hopefully March 31. I'll tell you about how to sign up for that. We're going to try to create... A humorous newsletter, a newsletter that every week will collect the best and most useful marketing and advertising links, but also make you laugh at them. It's too serious out there. It's too serious. And we've got a career toolkit. So, again, if you're in our newsletter on our socials, we'll be promoting this little career planning toolkit that you can get. So much happening. I'm in Mexico City next week, Bulgaria for Digitalk in May, possibly, probably doing a masterclass ecuador we've got three masterclasses happening in june more details about that to come and then probably back to peru in october looking at other countries like colombia chile to do some uh, special masterclasses with a partner all of which i'll talk to you about soon so i know that sometimes i indulge a little bit in like all the stuff that's going on i get excited like we're trying to build this thing it's weird out there right now so building something that you're really interested in while it's weird out there that's weird also, I know the only people who listen to this are the ones like the die diehard people who are like, yes. I don't even know what that means. But you're, you're like, yes. You know what? It's because my voice puts you to sleep. I reckon, I reckon 25% of, of the listenership of Sweathead is 11 p.m. And people are like, it's loud outside. I can't sleep. I know. Sweathead. Sleepyhead. All right. Let's talk about this thing that I've heard quite a few times. I'll save you from talking about my gym updates. I've been doing them online a little bit. It's a sort of, I don't know, flirt with my wife maybe. I don't know. That's what the therapist said that I might be doing. Uh, But uh, I have to, I will say one thing that one of the most significant changes I've made in the past few years has been to work at a gym and work out at that gym four to five times a week. And I'm kicking myself. Why didn't I do this when I was younger? I hit 25. I was doing martial. I was a black belt in martial arts. Sorry, I don't say that very often. I'm not anymore, so don't pick fights with me. And I got married then, uh, and thought, okay, we got a small apartment. So I was like, okay, I've got to afford a mortgage. I got to get a full time job. I, I just gave everything up. I thought I was old at 25, and that was right around the time all these UFC fighters. Yes, I was into that. Uh, we like doing well at the age of 40 and in my head I was too old at 25. If you're 25, you're young, your brain's just fully formed, you're just starting out, it's okay, even though I know historically speaking 25 is not young, young, but in this day and age it's relatively young. That was a lot of information. Let's talk about what 10 rounds of creative revisions means. Often when I'm talking to students or people I I collaborate with or even – companies that I train and I'll listen for little phrases that remind me of of life in agencies which I've not been in for seven years I don't know how I would go I think I'd be good like way better than I was now at some things and others I just other things I just could not tolerate one of them is this working in places or working with clients where you have to do like 10 rounds of creative revisions. And here's my personal point of view on this. It just means that things are sloppy. And often the number one reason, this is not to poke exclusively at one group of people, but in my experience, it's often because the account management team is weak. They have not set up an understanding or rules of engagement for the project or for the client. And they just say yes to everything. And the the worst behavior connected to that that will lead to 10 rounds of revisions, is when you present your work, strategist or creative team, and there are companies in which the account team would present the work, by the way, but let's say you, as a group, have presented your work, and then the client collects all the feedback from anyone who needs to have feedback, doesn't filter it, puts it in a document, And then the account team copies and pastes that into a document for the strategist and or the creative team. That's really sloppy and it's not fair on anyone. And one way to short circuit -circuit that is to allow that feedback to happen, to listen and then to say, look, let's say we change three things. Let's boil it down to three main things. What are the three main things we want to change? And also let's try to get through this with three rounds of revision. Now I know that's idealistic these days, these days, right? Because it's, we've given up power, but that's one way to, to deal with it. But I think one of the symptoms or causes actually, one of the causes of all these rounds of revisions is just account management not doing its job properly, okay? Another one is your clients don't know what they want. And I have to say a big red flag for me these days if, is, is if someone has no answer to this question, what are some of your favorite recent campaigns? It's such a simple question. I use that to understand their creative ambition, to understand how creatively literate they are, how creatively curious they are, if they keep an eye on what's going on out there. And there, uh, granted, there are times right now where I might not have the best answer to that question because my eyes aren't glued to the industry at all times. I am more glued to the strategist. But if you're in marketing and you're briefing an agency and you've got some money on the line, you, you gotta have an answer to that, right? And another red flag is like briefing the agency and then going on vacation or holiday for a couple of weeks. That's that's so bad. Usually means they don't know what they want or they're like, just give me, they know they're deliverable. Give me five videos. I'll see you in two weeks. Three, your clients won't be led. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I want to dream about London not having this problem. But I talk to people over there and they have this problem in the U.S., There's so much competition. There's a lot of pressure on companies to constantly please the client. And, and yes, we are in the, the, the client service business. You'll see an agency CEO say that pretty often, but what does that mean? Because there's two ways to interpret that. At least if you're in the client service business, one way to interpret that is you have to do everything the client wants. You have to keep them happy or two you do what you think the client needs to do and you really make strong recommendation about what they need to do so that the money they spend is really effective and that would keep them happy. <sighs> and so hopefully for the agency people out there, you, you can work with clients who will take some leadership, who will say, what do you recommend? You're the expert. That's why they hired you. Another reason that these, all these rounds of revisions can happen is you create creative leadership or your leadership in general is weak. I worked in some really good places when I was growing up. I probably took them for granted a bit. But I know that if we had like a really big idea, we as in the company, and well, you know what? It's not about the idea getting stuck. But if we had a really good idea, a few things might happen. First of all, before the project team or client team in the agency pitched the client the idea, sometimes our management team, one or two of them, would go have breakfast or lunch or whatever it took with the client And prime them. So we've got this really good idea. We really want you to buy it. You know, let us know what what needs to happen. And another thing that would happen is if we had a good idea and it got stuck, one of the management team or all of them might phone, meet, lunch, breakfast, whatever they needed to do the client. Go, hey, what do we need to do to get this through? I don't. I I haven't seen. I didn't see my. Five years working for other people in the US. I didn't see that once. Didn't see it once. It was just like you're on your own. It was weird. I was like, no, we're we're together. I don't get this. So examine it. And if you are the leader, don't do that. Show the example. Show that you're there to fight for your team's ideas. Another reason the 10 rounds of revisions happen is like you have no boundaries. Like you don't know how to say no. And that's hard. Like, In some companies, and I know this is really hard for some people to understand because their experience, their working experience is different, but in some companies, strategists have become back office. People turn up and go, give me an insight this afternoon. Give me a 10 slide up front by tomorrow. And you're like, can I meet the client? Can I present to the client? And so if you're not on these meetings, you can't manage the boundaries. You can't manage the questions or try to respond or say, I'll get you a certain kind of answer. Frontline, because you're not frontline. So boundaries help. I know there's idealism in this. This is this hasn't always been the way it's been six. You didn't discuss the number of rounds of feedback at the start. Now I've, I've worked in places that were very scope focused. You know, there are three rounds of feedback, especially digital agencies And that can lead to some challenges, right? Where the client wants to do a bit of scope creep and you need to make a decision on the fly. Will I let them? And what I would usually do is go, okay, we've we've agreed to three rounds of revisions. That's what we're charging you for when I was a producer in my early to (laughs) mid-20s. I remember actually doing this in a a boardroom of a luxury car company, German, in Sydney though. And uh, I was like, we've reached this round of revisions and also here's what the scope is, but we need to charge you more money. And the CEO, who was probably about 10 to 15 years older, he chuckled. And, and I, now I know what that chuckle was. <laughs> I was doing him good. I was helping his business grow. I didn't really think about it at that time. I was like, this is, I was just earnest about the work. So it, I think it's useful to talk about the number of, of rounds of revisions that you're going to go through. It's, it, and oh, look, if you're on retainer and you've got a big company, big team with a big client, Uh, That could be a bit difficult, but you could bring it in say, look, we've noticed there are a lot of revisions happening. What do we need to do? Say it constructively. What do we need to do so that we only need to do three rounds of revisions next time? Because that'll save us all a little, little bit of sanity. Seven, you don't have enough access to senior decision makers. I don't know what happened. I've heard stories from the past from agency CEOs who are probably 67 years old now and CMOs of that age, and they're like, you know, back in the day, I think it was the head of Toyota, maybe CEO or CMO of Toyota in Australia. Was like, I used to go to the agency nearly every day, sit down with them at 8 a.m. and go, what are our ideas? How are we going to sell these cars? And then I also remember when I worked on Microsoft, the, was it the cmo of microsoft in australia was in the newspapers and, uh, and the, the newspaper asked the person you know how often do you spend time with the agencies and he really distanced himself from it he's oh that's what other people do and i was like what I get, I get it a lot of cmo work is politics and bureaucracy and all kinds you know the four, well we would like to say it's the four p's but it's probably not for most marketers but i was like w- why would you say that in public you know and it was a real eye-opener uh, and that was two thousand and I'll say two thousand and ten, and so for me that was like a really visceral. I have a really visceral memory of that because it helped me understand the dynamics I was entering every single every single day. And then the final reason that you doing all these rounds of revisions, is that someone's just an asshole. Sorry if you've got kids listening to that, and if, if, or this, and if you do have kids listening to this, because apparently there are a few 15 year olds that listen to this and think I sound like Laserbeam, the famous Aussie YouTuber. Uh, shout outs to you. The asshole word is okay to use every now and then. I feel a little bit naughty using it. But look, sometimes you just are working with a client or you have people that you're working with or you are the asshole. And uh, it just makes things really, really difficult. So there's a few ways to navigate all of this. Uh, I think taking the constructive approach initially saying, Hey, we've noticed this pattern of behavior with us. What do we need to do to avoid it next time? Here are some suggestions. And and that kind of structure is a structure you can bring to dealing with your boss, with your own team, with a client, with other agencies, because uh, you don't want to keep going through the same thing. It's going to burn out. And then we're just going to keep seeing these headlines about how people increasingly don't want to work in advertising. All right. So how to deal with that. Number two topic I want to talk about is we love the strategy, but not the creative team. That statement, I I remember the first time I heard that and and my initial reaction was like, yeah, we're good. And I was like, yeah, but we didn't win. So why am I feeling good about that? It's like a backhanded compliment. So here's the deal. We love the strategy, but not the creative team isn't a win for anyone because you can't half win a pitch. And that is totally to rip off the awkward phrase. I'm going to say it anyway. You can't be half pregnant, but you can't half win a pitch. So here's the deal. When a client loves the strategy or when they say they love the strategy, but doesn't hire the agency, everyone at the agency loses. Strategy only matters if the creative is good and effective, that it's its only point. People struggle with this, especially people who are purists and want to defend the strategy trade, which I do. But in terms of being in the agency world, it only matters if it leads to good, effective work. That's it. You can be smart all you want, write the best creative brief, give yourself 10 out of 10 for your creative briefs, but if it doesn't lead anywhere, it, I don't know. what It's just like holding your breath in the corner of a bathroom when the lights are off. Like, so what? I'm being dramatic, trying to dislodge some thoughts. Right. And deep down, I think what's going on with the strategist, and I felt these things a little bit, right, is that you might feel that you've won, but you're also a little bit confused and, and, and maybe feeling a sense of confused revenge like, oh, I told you the creative team's not good enough or the creative department never pay attention to my briefs. And I got to tell you, as someone who's a bit older than most of you listening to this, I get it. Allow yourself to feel those things, but don't hold on to them because you'll rust. You'll rust. The other thing is when you think about what that feedback's doing, it's kind of divisive. It's almost like saying as a parent, you got two kids, and you're like, I like you, but not you. It's weird. You know, we like the strategy and essentially the strategy team but not the creative team. And unfortunately, in the wrong hands, it can mask as constructive feedback. How do I know that? Because I've been in management teams where we've had this feedback come in, and then we get we get together, or the management teams forced to get together, or things start happening where the creative team that didn't deliver again starts to really get questioned. And sometimes maybe that's what has to happen, but sometimes not. I just think that that this sentence, and even the concept of like a post mortem, these are they're really like negative stances to take that introduce or maintain a culture of fear. when people are fearful, they tend not to be as creative. And the thing is, like, if the client liked the strategy so much, why not give the agency another shot if they haven't burned them out already trying to get free work out of them where they own the ideas and gave you five, 10, 20 grand for the pitch. So end point is we love the strategy but not the creative is usually so useless it's nothing to feel good about. Hope you're doing well out there. Uh, you can find us at, at Mark Pollard and at Sweathead. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Subscribe to our newsletter. Find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy memberships, company training, or books, visit sweathead.com. Whoop, whoop. Strategy with friend. Strategy with friend. Strategy with strategy with strategy with friend.